there is no standing still for us as followers of Jesus. Musician, the lead singer. This past summer on Instagram, uh, a prominent musician, the lead singer for the Christian rock group, Hawk Nelson, it's a long story behind that name, I'm not going to go into it now, but um, the lead singer announced on Instagram that he was now an atheist, that he no longer believed in God. You can imagine the response from the Christian community uh, when he posted that. And um, what was interesting from that announcement was that, that even though he had lived his whole life in the Christian faith, his father was a pastor, his father-in-law is a pastor, that even though he had lived his whole life in the Christian faith, there was issues that he never really dealt with until it just kind of went kaboom. He seemed to say that he never really experienced God in a tangible way and therefore he could no longer believe in God. But then in his interview he also said that as a prominent Christian when he had views that were counter to the Christian evangelical community, one of the big supporters of Christian rock music that he felt he could not speak out because of the damage that he might create for the band and for himself. I presume he means maybe financial damage and maybe notoriety damage. It's an example of someone who has been deeply rooted in the faith, abandoning the faith in our context, in our world today. And the pastor that is preaching this sermon to the, to the Hebrews, he also knows about important people who have been followers of Jesus, who have left the Christian fold the brothers and sisters of Christ that have loved him or her, that have cared for him or her, and yet they have still left the faith, rejected it, burned the bridges so that they could not come back. And just as people fall away from belief, chapter 6 is where Christians begin to fall away, even today. If you've been reading this book of Hebrews, if you've been studying this book of Hebrews, chapter 6 is the place most often where people stop reading the book of Hebrews, where people stop studying the book of Hebrews. We just heard the promise last week, verses 8 and 9 from chapter 5, when it says, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In his way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest. And he became the source, not a source, the source of eternal salvation. Eternal salvation. That is the theme of the book of Hebrews. Who is Jesus? He is 
the source of eternal salvation. Jesus Christ is that source, is your salvation, my salvation, and yet doubt lingers in many Christians. And so what the preacher is asking us is, will the church, the body of Christ, will those of us who are a part of this book now, will we lay aside every sin that clings so closely to us, or will we, will we remain immature babies asking for more milk to drink? You see, that seems to be the issue a lingering spiritual immaturity, a spiritual imperfection in the body. In verse 11, we hear that some seem to be spiritually dull in understanding and that they don't listen, or if they listen, they don't hear. And then in verse 12, we hear that some, by this time, ought to be teachers at least for the Sunday school program, right? But they want to be taught the basics again. Confirmation meets Monday evenings from 5 to 6, so if you want to help teach, there's another opportunity. In verse 13, we hear that some are still drinking milk instead of eating solid spiritual food. That being said, the preacher here, the author of the book of Hebrews, is referring to those who are morally and spiritually immature. And the bigger issue with spiritual immaturity is that it's not that you're spiritually immature, it's that you don't believe that you need to grow. You don't believe that you need anything. You're good. You got God, God's on your side, that's all I need. The bigger issue, that not having a sense or a need to grow, also gets played out by expecting to be the recipient, to receive from the church, to get from the church, not to give. That's the challenge that this preacher is facing as he writes this sermon for this house church of Hebrews. I remember at one point in time when a congregational leader came up to me and began to scream I am sick and tired of giving to this church. I am not giving another thing to this church. I've given my time, my blood, my sweat, my tears. And what has the church given me? I think I'd asked him to serve Holy Communion. So it's a common thing to erupt, right? Right after you're asked to serve Holy Communion. But that, that was the response. You see, the challenge is that Jesus is the source of eternal salvation, and we are called to follow that source, 
But sometimes, even as Christian leaders, we can forget the promise. We can forget how important that promise is. And we can just quit because we're tired of it. But there is no quitting here. There is no standing still. You are either going to believe and trust in the promises of Christ, or you are not. You are either going to serve God's people with loving hearts, or you are not. It's not difficult. There is, there is no standing still. There's an old saying, you can't sit on the fence post forever. And when we think about this call from this pastor, this preacher, the author of Hebrews, we are, we are reminded that it is time for us to move on and to grow in our faith. In chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, this is the way he puts it. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Actually, the word there is perfect. And I'll touch on that in just a moment here. So um, there's an important reason why this translation, which I like a lot, has changed it from perfect to mature. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But remember that it's, it's perfect is what the word is. To become perfect, mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. And so God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. In verse 1, the preacher is saying, let us become perfect in our understanding. Let us become mature. Now that seems a little bit strange since the only kind of perfection that we have heard so far in this book of Hebrews refers to Jesus. In chapter 2 of Hebrews, verse 10, this is what it says about Jesus. God for whom and through whom everything was made chose to bring many children into glory and it was only right that he should make Jesus through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. A perfect leader. And then in chapter 5, verse 9, the preacher says this. In this way, God qualified him, Jesus, as a perfect high priest. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. The perfect high priest. In a couple of weeks, we're going to begin to unpack that piece. So the only person that's been perfect here is Jesus. And so when you take a look at this word, this Greek word for perfection, it has two meanings. One is kind of the example of perfection. The purity of perfection. The second one is that we are maturing we are moving towards perfection. Now, which is your favorite? Bach? J.S. Bach? 
or Mozart? Wolfgang Mozart. Which one is your favorite? Well, I'll know, I know what my preference would be as a church leader, as a pastor, that I kind of have a different, I put, make a deference towards, um, towards Bach, because he was a church musician. But in terms of creative artistry, there is no one like Mozart. And even today, people can play Mozart. They can imitate Mozart almost perfectly. But they are not Mozart. <laughs> That's the kind of distinction that the pastor wants us to understand here, is that Jesus is the perfect example. And we are to be imitators of that perfection, moving towards maturity. We will never be Jesus. And we could say, thank God for that, right? We will never be Jesus. But Jesus is our example. As a matter of fact, we are imitators of that perfection when we see Jesus, when we follow Jesus. In, in chapter 1, um, verse 3, there's, uh, you know, some of you that were here earlier on um, know that that's my favorite or one of my favorite Bible verses. But it talks about how Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the perfect imprint, the exact imprint, exact imprint of God's very being. And so Jesus is the thumbprint of God. There is none like him. And when we think about that, this next section which is another warning, is not meant to bring condemnation, but rather it is intended to encourage you, the church, the body of Christ, to bring encouragement. In verses 4 through 6, we hear, we hear the warning. For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tested the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. That's the warning. But the preacher is not saying that God's grace is limited. God's grace is unlimited. And it's God's. Too often we try to parcel out God's grace as if it's ours. But it's not ours. It belongs to God, and God will make the judgments that God deems appropriate. What we are to do is to imitate the perfect one. The preacher here is not saying that there aren't consequences for severing your ties to the church. That's what he's saying. There are consequences. When you reject 
the faith when you leave the church and you want nothing more to do with the church. When you slam the door, it is difficult for the church to reach out to you out of respect of your decision. The singer of Hawk Nelson still rests in the promises of God. I can't judge him. You and you can't judge him. The Christian community, even though many have tried to judge him, can't judge him. Only God can judge him. What we do know is that his decision has created issues for the church. And after his announcement, his relationship with the church became very complicated. You might say that it would take a miracle for him to ever have the relationship with the church again. But let's not forget, God can do anything. It's never too late for God. What the preacher is trying to tell us is that it can be too late for the church when you walk away from the love that has been offered to you. When you have seen many fall away and refuse to be restored to the church, that becomes the issue that he's addressing. And we know that he's addressing that. We can make that assumption because a little bit later on in chapter 10, he talks about some who have fallen away from the church. In chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, this is where he's reminding us of the role of the church. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering? Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when you all owned and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you, things that will last forever. There's a distinction between the church and those who walked away from the church. In verse 39 of that chapter 10, we read, But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. So, people leaving the faith is not something new. It's not something we really have any control over. Nor should we try to posit control over it. Just knowing, though, that there is a distinction between the church and between Christ. Those who have left the church and have walked away from Christ have refused his grace. That is up to Christ. 
but many have suffered and remained faithful. Many in the church that he is preaching this sermon to are those very people. And that's why this word is not meant as a condemnation, but really as a word of encouragement, of support. I feel like we are in that position today as the church. I really do. I mean, we are suffering from a virus that keeps mutating and continuing to attack us. It has now infected over one million Arizonans alone. We are being beaten and battered by terrorists who love to create chaos and want nothing more than to inflict pain and death. Nothing more. Many Christians in the medical community are burning out from their caregiving because the virus has impacted so many people. They are getting tired and burned out. And at the same time, many of them are getting ridiculed for trying to advocate for the public health of our society. We do know suffering today. And we know it well. And the preacher acknowledges that the road for us is not any easier than it was for those early Christians. To publicly state your faith in the context of the suffering that you encounter is an amazing act of faith. And this preacher, he sees the church. He sees you as remaining faithful to Christ. In verse 9, he says this, Dear friends, even though we are talking this way, we really don't believe it applies to you. We are confident that you are meant for better things, better things that come with salvation. He sees the church as faithful. Many people in the churches are like the example that he uses. Many are like the fertile soil. The rain of God's blessing falls upon them, and they soak it up. You can read about that in verse 7. These folks are the kind of soil that grow and bear fruit fruit of righteousness, fruit of love, fruit of kindness. They grow fruits of, of gratitude. And then others are like the poor soil. No matter how much the rains of mercy fall on the poor soil, all that seems to grow are thorns of selfishness and thistles of arrogance and vengeance. Now, I don't think that this is a section 
that the preacher intended to point outward only. I think he also intended us to point this scripture inward towards ourselves. When has our soil not been good? When have you been selfish lately or resentful or arrogant? And when has our soil been filled with gratitude? When has it been filled with kindness, of service and love? The preacher wants us to reflect so that we might ask God to make us good soil. Good soil that can produce great things of fruitfulness. You, my dear friends, you are meant for greater things. That is what he tells us. After that, verse 9, he says this, For God is not unjust. God will not forget how hard you have worked for him, how you have shown your love to him by caring for others, other believers, as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that you hope for, that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. So, for us, the question becomes, will we show our love for God and for other believers like many of you did for the Navajo mission. Well, we love and pray for others, even those who call us unfaithful, who refuse our love. Well, we follow the examples of those in faith whom God has set before us. We'll take a look at who those might be next week. Will we do these things? Or, we will, or will we let the good soil, uh, or, will, or will we let the poor soil take root within us? This is a challenge for me because there are moments when I have allowed my anger, my resentment to get the best of me. I have had moments of rebellion against God when I said, no, God, I'm not doing my devotions this morning. I can do this on my own. If this happened, has happened to your preacher in the past, it can also happen to you. And the temptations are there. But what the pastor of Hebrews wants us to know is that God's love and mercy endures. That our focus should not be on ourselves, our church, our campus, but rather 
upon Jesus the Christ, the one who is our Lord and Savior. And by keeping our focus on Jesus the Christ, we will not stand still. We will be on the move. And we will grow towards perfection, towards maturity. The reason the translators changed it from perfection to maturity in reference to us is because we will never be perfect. But we can become mature. That is the question. Will we? Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the promises that you have given us. We pray that you will sustain us with these promises. And when we run back to the poor soil, call us forth, Lord. Lord, make us good soil once again. Amen.